0: I want to dive into the lesson now. I want to read to you several passages from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And these are going to be some lengthy verses, a lengthy text of Scripture. But please bear with me, because I promise you, it's going to set up everything we're going to talk about in this final lesson and our blast weekend. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse number 3, the apostle of God, the apostle Paul, he says in verse 3, "'For I delivered to you as of first importance.'" What I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me, whether then it was I or they. So we preach. And so you also believed. that if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, and our preaching is vain, your faith is also vain. Moreover, we even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise. If in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we're all men most to be pitied. What is, what is the Apostle Paul talking about there in those verses? What is, he, what is he emphasizing? What's the main thing he's trying to get us to understand? Well, I submit that the main thing that the Apostle Paul is emphasizing and is trying to get us to understand is what the gospel story is all about. It's what the good news is all about. It is what the good news of God is really all about. According to the Apostle Paul, the good news of God is about Jesus. It's about the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus dying on a cross and being buried in a tomb, but three days later, coming out of that tomb. Paul says that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are core components of the gospel. In fact, in this particular context, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing the importance of the resurrection. He's emphasizing the importance of the empty tomb. He is saying that the empty tomb of Jesus is where our faith stands or falls. It is where our faith is either confirmed to be true or it's proven to be a flat-out lie. It is, in fact, the key foundation stone to our faith and the place where everything we believe as Christians hinges. And let me just ask you, as we sung this morning, Aren't you glad it happened? Aren't you thankful that it took place? Aren't you thankful to the almighty God? that not only did Jesus die as brother Jordan so well said this morning in his lesson. Not only did our Lord die, not only was he crucified and was he buried in the tomb of a rich man. But three days later, that tomb was found empty. Three days later, angels of God announced that the Lord had been raised. Three days later, Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he was seen all over the place. He was seen by many eyewitnesses. In fact, Paul mentions many of those eyewitnesses right there in those verses. Going back to the chapter again, notice how in verses 5 through 8, after the apostle Paul tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead, he then tells us that the Lord was seen all over the place. He was seen by men and women. He he was seen by members of his own family and by persecutors of the church. Paul even says there was a time when Jesus was seen by more than 500 people at one time. You know how many people that is? That is probably about 100 people more that's in this room right now. After Jesus raised from the dead, he was seen all over the place. His resurrection was not a secret thing at all. In fact, as we get ready to wrap up this series of lessons about the great precious story of Jesus, I would like to conclude this series by giving you a few reasons why the resurrection is so important. I want to talk with you about the resurrection. I want to talk with you about the empty tomb. I want to share with you a few reasons why the empty tomb of Jesus Christ is such a critical place for our faith as the people of God. And the first reason why, the first reason why the empty tomb of Jesus is so important because number one, it validates Jesus. It verifies Jesus it verifies the claims that Jesus made you see 2000 years ago we need to understand that when Jesus walked on this earth he made a lot of claims he he made a lot of extraordinary claims he claimed he claimed to be God He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be the I am. He claimed to have existed before the great man of faith, Abraham, and to be from everlasting to everlasting. He also claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Christ. He claimed to be the anointed one of God who was foretold by the prophets. He also claimed to be worthy of worship. He claimed to be worthy of praise and adoration from people. And he also claimed to be the good shepherd and to be the lamb of God and to be the light of the world and to be the son of man and the bread of life and the way and the truth and the life. He also claimed to have come from God the Father and to have seen God the Father and he came to do the work of God the Father. Jesus made all of these extraordinary claims all throughout his ministry. And here's my question. Why should we believe him? Why should we believe that he's all these things he he claims? I, I ask you that because brothers and sisters, anybody can make claims. I mean, I can make claims. I can claim today that I can shoot three-pointers as good as Steph Curry. I I can claim to be able to throw a football as good as Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. Notice I didn't say Dak Prescott. I can also claim. (laughs) I can be, I can claim to be as smart as Albert Einstein or to be as strong as the rock, I can also claim to be God. I can claim to be the son of God. I can claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. I can claim to be the Lord and to be worthy of worship. I can make those claims just like Jesus did. And so what makes Jesus so special? Well, why should I believe Jesus? Why should I believe that Jesus is all these things he claimed to be? Please go in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. When you go to Acts chapter 2, I want to take you back 2,000 years ago to Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem with me, we're going to go to Jerusalem and we're going to go to the day of Pentecost. We're going to imagine in our minds that we are in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and the Apostle Peter is standing before thousands of Jews and he's going to tell them about Jesus. He's going to tell many hostile Jews, many Jews who were directly responsible for killing Jesus, he's going to tell them why they should believe Jesus, why they should believe he's the Messiah. And Acts 2, in verse number 22, the apostle Peter said these words, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit's power had come upon him and and the other apostles. In verse 22, he says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene a man attested to you, proven to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. There Peter is saying that you know Jesus was a mighty man of miracles. You know Jesus gave sight to the blind, and he healed lepers, and he calmed storms, and he raised the dead. You know he did these things. He did them all throughout Israel, verse 23 this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Drop down to verse 32, please. Verse 32, the apostle says, This Jesus. God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Look at verse 36, please. Verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, let all the house of Israel believe with confidence that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you have crucified. Notice how when making a case to these Jews in Jerusalem, Peter appeals to the resurrection. He says that Jesus died. He was crucified, as Brother Jordan said this morning. He was crucified on a cross, but he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the tomb. He came out of the tomb, and he was seen by many eyewitnesses. That verifies, Peter says, that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. It verifies his identity. Now, put that with what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, please, because Paul says it this way. In Romans chapter 1 and in verse number 4. In Romans chapter 1 and in verse number 4, the Apostle Paul, when talking about Jesus, he says that Jesus was declared, declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice how Paul says that the resurrection verifies that Jesus is the Son of God, but not just the Son of God. He's the Son of God with power. He's the Son of God with power. Power to do what? Power to do everything that he claimed to be able to do. Power to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Power to forgive us, power to save us, power to redeem us, power to protect us, power to be our mediator and our high priest. Power to comfort us. Power to be with us at all times, power to walk with us and watch over us, power to providentially guide us, power to grow us into being the kind of people that God has called us to be. Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it verifies everything about Jesus. It verifies every promise he has made it verifies that he wasn't just a man, he wasn't just a Jewish rabbi, he wasn't just some philosopher who popped up onto the scene in the first century instead he is God. He is the Messiah he's the Lord, the Son of God, the way, the truth and the life the one who is fully able to save our souls. The resurrection the resurrection validates the identity of Jesus, the claims of Jesus. But let's add to that by saying that the resurrection, it also validates his preaching. Oh, yes, it validates his preaching. It validates his teaching, the teaching he gave all throughout his ministry. You see, the resurrection validates the moral standard. You know, in our society today, you've noticed this morality changed like like the wind, right? Those of you who grew up in the 50s and the 60s, you know that, that's what people are promoting today is far different than, than it was then, right? It's different. So our culture, the politicians, the Supreme Court, whoever you want to say, they change their moral standards like the wind, but the moral standard of Jesus, it never changes. It never changes. And his preaching validates his moral standard. It validates the moral standard that he promoted in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. It validates the teaching that he gave about worship to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. It validates his parables and the deep spiritual truths that are found in those parables. It validates what he taught about forgiveness and about prayer and about the need to be honest and ethical and treat our spouse right and raise our kids right. It validates what he promoted about marriage. And divorce and remarriage, it validates what he taught about the need to love one another and be kind to one another and gracious and merciful and how we are blessed if we're willing to suffer for the kingdom of God. The resurrection validates everything Jesus taught. Everything he preached about in his ministry, but it doesn't just validate his preaching. It validates the preaching of the apostles. Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 15. When you go back and look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 15, there, if you remember, Paul says that the preaching of himself and the other apostles would be completely worthless and vain if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. He says that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, they would be found out to be false witnesses. That is a huge statement given by the Apostle Paul because just like, just like Jesus made a lot of extraordinary claims, you know who else did? The Apostles did. The Apostles also made a lot of claims. They made a lot of claims about Jesus. They claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. They claimed that he was the Lord. They claimed that he was the way and the very son of God. They also preached his moral standard. They preached that adultery is wrong. Fornication is wrong. Gossip is wrong. Hatred is wrong. They preached about the need to repent and confess the name of Jesus and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of Jesus validates and verifies everything that Jesus taught, and that his apostles taught. But let's just say this, the resurrection validates everything about the Bible, period. Everything about the Bible, period. It confirms that every part of that book you have in front of you, whether it's on your phone or paper form, whatever Bible form you have in front of you right now, the resurrection of Jesus validates and verifies all the scriptures. It verifies that every part of the Bible comes from God. It confirms the historicity of the creation account given in Genesis. And it confirms the story of Noah and the ark and Jonah spending three days in the belly of a fish and God speaking to Moses through a burning bush and even Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. You see, it's incredible. That's incredible. As those stories may seem to us today, we need to understand that Jesus actually preached about every one of them in his ministry, and if it is confirmed that he is raised from the dead, then that means we can believe and trust and have confidence that all those things, they really happened. They really took place. They are, in fact, historical facts because God wouldn't raise a liar and a deceiver from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus verifies every part of the Bible. It verifies everything in the Old Testament. It verifies everything in the New Testament. It verifies that the moral standard that Jesus promoted, that's the right standard, and if we deviate from that standard, we are in fact sinning against our creator. The resurrection is significant because it validates the claims of Jesus and the preaching of Jesus, but let's put this on here. It also validates the work of Jesus at Calvary. Brother Jordan talked about that this morning. And I want to ask you to go back to 1 Corinthians again, please. Look at chapter 15, consider what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I'm looking at verse 16, please. In verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 15, remember Paul said, for if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith, your faith as a Christian, it is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Notice how if Jesus didn't come out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, then that means something for us right now. Even what our nice church clothes on, singing these songs. Being together, if Jesus doesn't come out of that tomb, Paul says, we're lost. We're lost. We have no relationship with God. We have no fellowship with God. We're not the children of God. We're not brothers and sisters in Christ. We have no access to forgiveness and eternity in heaven because if Jesus is not raised, that means the penalty for our sins, it hasn't been paid. That would also mean Jesus is a liar. He's the biggest liar in the history of the world. He's a deceiver, a fake, a phony, a fraud, because he promised over and over again in his ministry that he was going to be raised from the dead, but he wasn't raised from the dead. It would also mean if he's not raised that he was no different than the two thieves he died with. Remember those guys? If the Lord is not raised from the dead, then like the two thieves who were also crucified with him in Golgotha, he also is a sinner. He also is someone who has sinned against God. He's violated the law of a holy God, and God wasn't pleased with him. God wasn't satisfied with him. God did not accept the death he gave in Golgotha for our sins. You see, those would be the consequences for me and you. If the Lord did not come out of that tomb, and those would be horrible consequences. Those would be horrible consequences. In fact, those would be the worst consequences. That would mean that being a Christian, being a Christian, that's pointless. Being a disciple, that's pointless. Being a member of the church of Christ, that's pointless. Believing is pointless. Having faith is pointless. Repenting, allowing somebody to take you and bury you in some water, all oh, that's pointless if he's not raised from the dead. Come in the church, being here right now, getting your family, loading your kids up in the car to come here to this, to this place to, to worship, that, that's pointless. Singing all these beautiful songs, All all that we did, that was pointless. Taking the Lord's Supper, pointless. Giving some of your money in the collection basket, pointless. Hearing, preaching, and teaching from the Word of God, pointless. Praying, studying your Bible, having a blast weekend for young people, all of that is pointless if he's not raised from the dead. Helping people, serving people trying to do good towards others, doing evangelism, trying to share the gospel, praying about evangelism, trying to raise your kids to serve God, all those things are pointless, and they are vain. If all he does is die on the cross, if he doesn't come out of that tomb, it's all pointless. But I thank God with every fiber of my being, and I praise God with every fiber of my being, That he didn't just die on a cross. That he wasn't just crucified between two thieves. That he was raised by the power of God and he was seen all over the place by many eyewitnesses and many of those eyewitnesses were willing to give their lives testifying to the world about what they saw. I praise God that the resurrection of our Lord confirms to us that Jesus' work at Calvary was accepted by God and because it was accepted by God the Father, then you know what that means? That means that we can live our lives every single day with confidence knowing that we are forgiven sinners if we follow and give our lives to Jesus. We don't have to live our lives afraid. We we don't have to live our lives in doubt, wondering, Wondering if God has really forgiven me. Wondering if God really washed away my sins when I was baptized for the remission of my sins. Wondering if God hears my prayers. Wondering if God is watching over me. Wondering if God accepts my worship or if I'm really, if I really been adopted into God's family and I have brothers and sisters in Christ because the Lord came out of that tomb. I don't have to doubt that stuff. I can have confidence. And every promise God has made. The resurrection of our Lord, the resurrection of our Lord verifies the claims of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus, the work that my brother Jordan talked about this morning at Calvary. But let me close with this. Let me give you one more thing. Let's talk about how it validates our hope. I got to talk with you about hope a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going back there one more time, please. Verse 18 The apostle says this after he said that if Christ has not been raised, our faith is worthless. He says in verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died in Christ have perished. If we as Christians have hoped in Christ in this life only. well, we are all men most to be pitied. Notice how in addition to validating the claims of Jesus. And the preaching of Jesus and his wonderful work at calvary the empty tomb also assures our hope it assures our hope as the people of god it assures that there really is life after death there really is a heaven and there's a hell there really is a place where the righteous and the wicked are going to spend eternity according to what jesus promised In Matthew 25, 46, the resurrection verifies and assures us that there's life after death, and it also assures us that the brethren who've gone before us, the brethren that we love who've died and they inspired us, they inspired us to love God, they taught us, they encouraged us, the resurrection verifies that even though those people have died, they haven't perished. They're not lost. They're not in a worse situation right now than they were when they were on this earth. Instead, their situation is far better than ours. Their situation is far better than ours. They're not experiencing all the problems and the sufferings that we have to endure in this life. But instead, they're in comfort and they're having peace and they're experiencing rest from their works. In fact, in the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks more about our hope as Christians by describing more and talking about more concerning the resurrection. The resurrection. You see, he says, Paul says that the hope we have as Christians, the hope that binds us together and helps make us a spiritual family, that hope is rooted. It is rooted in the resurrection. It is rooted in the fact that while it is appointed for us all to die one day, we're all going to die, but because of Jesus' power over death, we can trust that even though we're going to die, we're not going to stay dead. We're not going to stay in the coffin. We're not going to stay in the cemetery. Instead, Jesus, he will bring us out of the realm of where all departed souls go, and he will reunite our souls with our bodies, and he will transform our bodies and bring us into heaven to live with him forever. That's the hope we have as the people of God. And if you remember, Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3 that the hope we have is a living hope. We don't have a dead hope. It's a living hope the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I told some of you yesterday, for those of you who were, who were able to make it out, that before I moved to Phoenix, I mean, Phoenix, Arizona, laboring with God's people there, been there about three and a half years now. And before my family and I moved to Phoenix, we were working with God's people in middle Tennessee. We were in Columbia, Tennessee, Columbia's south of Nashville. We were there six and a half years And during my last two years that I was working with the church in Columbia, I was blessed to labor alongside a friend of mine, a friend of mine named Matthew Basford. Matthew and I were trained by the same men. We both trained at the the Dallin Road Church in Beaumont, Texas. Matthew was the, the, the trainee before me. And Matthew and I were able to work together for two years before I moved to Phoenix. And he's only a few years older than me. Only a few years older than me, and like me, he's also a married man, and he has two children. His children are about the age of my kids, but a couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with ALS. He was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, a disease that often kills people pretty quickly, and it causes people to suffer to suffer in so many different ways. In fact, Matt now, at about 42 years old, he's 42 or 43, he's not able to walk. Can't preach anymore. Can't use his hands. Can't type. He's a writer. Can't type on a keyboard anymore. He can't do many of the things that that so often we take for granted. He can't do that stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. If this life was all there is. If this life was all he had to be excited about. If this life that we live in now, in this wicked world, was the sum total of man's existence. Then what a horrible predicament he would be in right now. What a horrible predicament. What a horrible thing it would be to be experiencing pain in your body every day and you can't walk anymore you can't jump you can't play with your kids like you once could you can't do the things that you were passionate about what a horrible thing it would be to go through all of these awful things in this life in this life was all there was but glory be to the god of heaven and earth that because jesus died And because he was buried and because he came out of that tomb, because Matt is a Christian, he's got something so wonderful to look forward to. He has something to be excited about. And eager to receive, even though he's suffering in his body, he has the hope of one day being raised in an incorruptible body a body that will no longer have ALS, a body that will be transformed by the power of Jesus and it will be fit to experience the wonderful blessings in heaven with God. That is the hope that he has. And that every single Christian in this room and around the world has According to the Apostle Paul, because Jesus was raised from the dead, our hope as Christians, it doesn't reside in this world. It's not rooted in the the promises found in this corruptible world. We are not pitiful and pathetic people who are blindly believing in something that we can't prove to be true. We're not really sure it's true. We are not people who have blind faith and are just doing something because we want to do it or because we make it, it makes us feel good. Instead, we have the evidence that confirms that our Lord came out of that tomb on that faithful Sunday morning, and because of that, we know there's a day of resurrection coming, and if we're faithful to him on that day when he comes again and the dead are raised, we're going to be okay. We're going to be blessed. We're going to experience something far better than what we've ever experienced in our lives. And so, my dear friends, as we get ready to wrap up this weekend that I've been so grateful to be part of, I hope that all these lessons we've done together as a spiritual family, I hope they've strengthened your faith. I hope they've made you zealous about serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I hope that your faith has enhanced. I hope your faith has increased. I hope you're more thankful that you are a Christian. I hope that you will continue throughout the course of your life to firmly root the story of Jesus and immerse it in your heart and that this story will manifest itself in your life and in the lives of the people you're blessed to connect with every single day. There is nothing there is nothing more important than any person can do in their lives than serve Jesus. Would you agree with that? Nothing more important than any person can do than serve Jesus, but maybe there's someone here. Maybe there's someone here, and you say, I don't serve Jesus. Maybe you say, I know the story, I know the story, but I haven't allowed the story to impact my life. I'm not a, a Christian. I don't have the hope that Christians have. If that describes you this morning, That can change in about the next 10 minutes or so. If you're willing to come forward and confess your faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and if you are willing to repent, turn away from your sins, and obey his commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if you will do those things, the Lord will be faithful to keep his promise to wash away your sins, add you to his kingdom, and you can leave here knowing that those things really happened because he died, he was buried, but he was also raised. If we could have anyone come to Jesus, the King, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.